Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. I'm so glad that you're tuning in today because we are about to share an absolutely epic interview with Dr. Julie Slattery. And um, I don't know if I've ever shared this before, but you know, when it comes to finding guests for this podcast, I don't really chase people down. Um, you know, we we throw some feelers out there, and if people don't respond, generally we we move on. There's really only a handful of people who we've actually been persistent with, where we've really pushed because uh, we're pretty convinced that their message is going to benefit you guys. And Dr. Julie is one of those people. Uh, the first couple of times I reached out, she wasn't available. Her team was very kind to me, and they just said, hey, it's, it's not a good time. Try again later. And we finally, finally were able to connect. And I am, I am just beside myself, uh, not, not just because of who she is and, and what she represents. And I'm going to read her bio in a minute and you're going to see that this is like a heavy hitter in our space. But my goodness, just the concepts she teaches are so profound. She has a, a real gift of communicating things clearly and effectively and really, um, in a way that, that I suppose engages the heart, but really, um, speaks to, sorry, engages the mind rather, but really speaks to the heart. She just does that unbelievably well. So, this is a phenomenal interview. Uh, we covered a bunch of things, but we really had two main focuses, and it was biblical sexuality, uh, which, I mean, some of the answers just blew my mind. She put me on on the spot a couple times, too, and I think um, it was really good, actually, because I think my answers kind of exposed some areas where I was lacking understanding of the subject, so I feel like I learned and I grew in the interview, and I, I really thanked her for that afterwards. Um, and then the second thing we talked about was leaders. You know, and, and why, why leaders matter so much and what leaders can do. And I promise you, this was not a like, come on, leaders, get it together. You're slowing us down. The church would be better if it weren't for you or if you were just get your stuff together. You know, it wasn't that kind of thing. Um, she was just very practical, uh, very empathic, but also really offered um, some good insights into what leaders can do. And the reality is you don't have to be the pastor of a church, the leader of a business, the manager in a company, um, or you don't even have to have a family to be a leader. Uh, we're all called to lead, whether that's leading yourself or you're just leading maybe some friends um, or whatever it might be. We all lead. We all have people that follow us for some reason in some capacity. And so all that content is going to be relevant for you, uh, regardless of where you are in your life. Um, now, anyway, this intro is getting a little bit long, but I do want to read her bio because I think it's just going to frame this interview really well. So let me read this and then we'll, we'll pop in. Dr. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and the president of Authentic Intimacy. Julie earned her college degree at Wheaton College, an MA in psychology from Biola, and an MS and a doctorate degree in clinical psychology from Florida Institute of Technology. From 2008 to 2012, Dr. Slattery served at Focus on the Family, writing, teaching, and co-hosting the Focus on the Family broadcast. In 2012, she left Focus on the Family to start Authentic Intimacy, a ministry devoted to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. In 2020, Julie launched sexualdiscipleship.com, a platform designed to help Christian leaders navigate sexual issues and questions with gospel-centered truth. Julie is the author of 12 books, including her newly released God, Sex, and Your Marriage, and host of the weekly podcast, Java with Julie. She and her husband, Mike, are the parents of three sons. They live in Akron, Ohio. Guys, enjoy. This is Julie Slattery. So here's the million dollar question. How are men like us who work hard, have good motives and a God-given purpose supposed to fulfill the calling on our lives and the dreams in our hearts, all while establishing sexual integrity, thriving relationships, and a meaningful connection with God? That is the question. And this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Sathya Sam. Welcome to Unleash the Man Within. Great. Well, I'm here with Julie Slattery, uh, founder of Authentic Intimacy. And gosh, I could I could list all the things you've done. Uh, I'll purposely do that in the intro. But um, but you've really pioneered a lot in the area of biblical sexuality and everything that comes with it. So it's a real honor to have you. Thank you so much for being here today. Hey, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks so much for having me on. So one of my favorite things to ask people is is what brought you into the space in the first place? And, uh, you know, you were obviously with Focus on the Family for many years and mm -hmm. already, you know, the brave one, I would say, who is who is broaching some of these subjects um, on a much larger scale and, um, you know, in reaching homes that maybe wouldn't typically talk about sex and that kind of thing. What What's piqued your interest to help people in this area particularly? Mm, uh, that's always a question I like to ask too. And most people have a very personal story of 
what God brought them out of and maybe what they endured growing up. And that's not 100% my story. Although as I've learned more, I've realized um, just wrong narratives and sexual brokenness that I had in my past that I didn't really identify as sexual brokenness. But that's Mm -hmm. not what primarily drove me into this field. So my background is I'm a clinical psychologist. And when I was in practice, of course, I would encounter everything related to sexuality. Uh, So many women and men have experienced sexual trauma. If you're working in marriage, you're going to encounter uh, questions and issues around sexuality, sexual addiction. So that's kind of how I was first introduced to the topic. And probably like everyone else, I was afraid to ask those questions even in a therapy session. There's an awkwardness. You feel like you're broaching somebody's privacy. But just realizing the need, uh, I had to kind of push myself into that space. And then when I started writing books on marriage and um, just women's issues, of course you have to cover sexuality. And I I did so, I would say, kind of um, begrudgingly. (laughs) It wasn't something (laughs) I was excited to tackle. There were struggles even within my own marriage that I was shy about. But once I started writing on the topic in the context of marriage, I realized that people wanted me to talk more about it. And so I would get invited to these events to talk about sexuality be like, man, everybody wants me to talk about sex. What's that about? (laughs) And, um, and I also just noticed that when I did talk about that topic, the response was overwhelming in terms Mm. of thank you. Nobody's talking about this, Uh, but I really didn't specialize in this topic until about a decade ago. And it was while I was at focus on the family that I went through just a really deep season with the Lord of getting to know him better and feeling like he was calling me to seek him. And during that season, he burdened my heart for sexual brokenness. Uh, I just couldn't sleep. I actually had a physical pain in my chest um, for many months. And I just was asking the Lord, you know, what are you doing in my life? What are you calling me to? And he made it very clear that he wanted me to address um, sexuality And I think part of my journey was being at focus. Um, You know, I was kind of known for asking the question underneath the question. I love to do that. Like, I don't want to read off the sheet. I want to ask the question that everyone is thinking. Mm -hmm. And when I would do that around sexuality, I felt like we got really uncomfortable in general as a church. But when I meet with individuals, there was such a need for people to speak out loud what they were experiencing and not just the issues of pornography or abuse recovery, but even loneliness or what is a single sex or a single Christian do with their sexuality? Uh, You know, where can they go to ask the real questions? So that's what prompted me starting this ministry about 10 years ago. And it really has just been a journey of faith as I've learned more as the questions have become more difficult even in the last (sighs) decade. Well, yeah, I was I was thinking like even, you know, 10 years ago, that would have been like such a relevant time to step into a ministry like this because, um, you know, we were kind of in the postmodern era uh, mm-hmm. for Christianity, especially a lot more questions around sex. And then here we are 10 years later and the subject is like tenfold in its relevance. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's amazing. God's timing is pretty amazing. And you've been able to help a lot of people. Um, the, one of the terms that I've seen uh, everywhere in your website, I've heard it on your podcast, and um, just seen it in your content, is biblical sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think we hear that term a lot. Um, you kind of mentioned earlier that um, that when you were asking the question under the question, you were getting to places where people were uncomfortable because they probably hadn't gone there before. And before we start actually defining biblical sexuality and all that, I'm wondering if you can just touch on why you think it is that we have uh, maybe quote unquote dug ourselves into a hole collectively as the church and not talked about it um, for all these years, you know, and I, I kind of know that from my, op- up, on my own upbringing rather, mm-hmm. but this has been systemic for a pretty long time. The church yeah. hasn't really always gone here. Why, why do you think that is? I think there are probably a few big whys. And like you said, it's systemic. This is something that has been inherited for generations. And so if you talk to a pastor who is in his 70s or 80s and you bring up the topic of sexuality, like I did with one of my family pastors, he's like, we never talked about that. Like we just figured (laughs) people would figure that one out on their own. Uh, And you look at what seminaries were training ministry leaders in. 
And there was never a course on sexuality. I think they're starting to be now, but it was just sort of this topic that traditionally from generation to generation was off limits. And I think there are a number of reasons why uh, I think like Nancy Piercy has done some great work in just looking at kind of the modern outgrowth of Gnosticism, of separating the body from the holy and thinking that the body uh, really can't be talked about in a way that glorifies God. Uh, mm. You know, I think if you look at the Victorian age and some of the impact of that, and you know, so I think if we look at these historic roots, we can look philosophically on how we got to where we are. But I also think we can't uh, we can't eliminate the fact that uh, Satan is smart <laughs> and yeah. he knows that this is a spiritual territory, and one way of winning that battle is to keep us quiet on it. And so yeah. even now, as we see in the culture and in the church culture, all this mess coming uh, to the surface, it was always there. There yeah. always has been sexual abuse. There always has been sexual pain. Yeah. There always has been sexual immorality. It's not like it's happening because we're talking about it. Uh, mm -hmm. But I think some people believe that, you know, like if we talk about it, it makes it real. Um, but you're you're right. We have a lot of work to do to change the environment to where it not only is okay to talk about sexual issues, but it's necessary. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And it's um, it's almost like if we don't talk about it now at this point, we're just going to continue to to fall further and further behind in the conversation. Which is why I'm super grateful for you and for for ministries like Authentic Intimacy. And um, and I wonder if you can maybe talk a little bit about what biblical sexuality really looks like, because obviously we're getting all kinds of messages about sex regardless of where you look. Um, what is biblical yeah. sexuality to you? Yeah, well, I think most people, when they hear biblical sexuality, they go immediately in their mind to the rules. Uh, yeah. <laughs> biblical sexuality is what God says not to do. It's to save sex for marriage. Uh, our mind goes there. And even I think in churches and in Christian settings, when we teach on sexuality, we tend to teach on it when we encounter those passages that clearly teach on sexual immorality or yes. that define what sexual immorality is. And maybe you have a brave pastor that every now and then teaches on Song of Solomon and says, <laughs> this is good. This is what sex should look like within marriage. But what we're missing is that the Bible was never meant to be read that way. It's not an index book where you you pull it off yourself and you look up what does God say about pornography. It, it can be used that way in certain times, but like any other book, you cannot understand the author's intent in a passage if you don't know the whole story. And yeah. growing up, this is really what I missed. Even in my early teaching on sexuality, the early writing that I did, we dissect a passage like 1 Corinthians 6 and 7, uh, or now in the debate around LGBTQ, we'll take what does this Greek word mean and what does this Hebrew word mean and how do we understand Romans 1? And what we, we don't realize is that those passages cannot be understood unless we read and understand the whole of Scripture. Mm -hmm. And the Bible is a story. It's a story of God's creation, of our fall with humanity, uh, our efforts to be reunited to God. Uh, if kind of failing on our own. And yeah. then Jesus Christ coming as the expression of God's love to redeem everything that's been broken. Mm. And so we can't understand biblical sexuality if we don't understand that biblical narrative. And so a lot of what I've learned to do over the years is to first start with teaching what is the biblical narrative of sexuality. Yeah. And because when we only talk about the rights and wrongs, when we only talk about this is what you need to do to honor God, we miss his heart. And uh, once we hear the narrative and we really begin to ask the deeper question of why did God create us as sexual people in the first place, then we can begin to understand Song of Solomon in context and Proverbs 5 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. Now they all begin to make sense. Hmm. That's really good. And I, and I think it's true of any concept, uh, biblical or not. Like the greater your context is, um, the more appropriately you're going to be able to actually break down the information and kind of piece it together. Um, so what what is the answer to that question then when you do have kind of the broader 
picture. Um, what do some of these texts really mean? Song of Solomon, Proverbs mm-hmm. 5, um, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. How, how do we make sense of these in light of the grander narrative of Scripture? Yeah, so the grander narrative of Scripture, again, has to begin with that question. Why did God create us as sexual people? Why does right. sex matter to him? And I can put you on the spot and ask you if if you want to Go answer that or you can make me answer it. But <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll answer a little bit, but sure. I definitely want to hear from you. Um, but, you know, when I think about the biblical narrative, I think all of it comes back to relationship. Like you said, it's God's pursuit of us. And it's our, it's our ability to now be able to respond to him in a new covenant context. Mm-hmm. Um and so everything starts there, but then the amazing thing is we get to relate to others. Yeah. And obviously it's in varying contexts and varying capacities, but you know, sex is one of the best ways that you can relate to somebody when you have a romantic relationship in the context of a covenant. And I think it's it's designed to enhance and to foster that relationship that we've yeah. been designed for since day one. So yeah. that's my little answer, but how no, about you? No, good. It's a good answer. You've thought about it quite a bit to even get that far with it. Um, but I'm going <laughs> to take even a step back and say, why did God create anything? And God's intent in creation is always to reveal. So when we look at the physical world, when we look at the relational world, when we look at our experience, everything reveals something about the nature of God. Hmm. You cannot read a chapter in scripture without it referring to something in the physical realm to help us understand who God is. Uh, So whether it's Hmm. sheep and shepherds or vineyards or the sky or mountains or trees, Uh, Or physical experiences like fatherhood, hunger and thirst, over and over and over again, these experiences that God created in in creation reveal to us the spiritual. Uh, And so we know what it means to be spiritually hungry and thirsty because we've been physically hungry and thirsty. We know what it is to be adopted as God's children because we can look and see what adoption is in the physical realm. Hmm. And so we need to understand that God ordered everything in creation in order to reveal himself. And so then that question is, okay, well, well, what was God revealing in our sexuality? And you hit on a key, a couple key words there. Uh, one of them is really important is covenant. You know, the story of God is the story of covenant. It's a story yeah. of God making a covenant with his people. In the Old Testament, it was the people of Israel, and the New Testament is with the church. But when you read the story of sex from Genesis to Revelation, it is used most often to reveal the nature of God's covenant with his people. And mm-hmm. so when we see in the, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites were worshiping other gods, the prophets used this very sexual language to describe mm-hmm. what they were doing. Yeah, they call because it adultery. The physical, yeah, of adultery, of prostitution, of uh, of cheating on your spouse. The physical expresses to us the heart of God that you've been unfaithful to me. You've broken the covenant. Um, hmm. When we're told, you know, that the church is the bridegroom waiting for, or the church is the bride waiting for Christ, the bridegroom, that there'll be this wedding in in heaven, like in Revelation. If you are a single person or engaged person longing for that intimacy, you know what we're supposed to feel like as the church, like we're waiting for an intimacy that has not been revealed fully or consummated. And so everything about our sexuality, whether you're single or married, whatever your struggle might be, is meant to reveal something about the covenant of God with his people. So I, you know, that's, that's a high concept for people to grasp. And uh, I take a lot of time in events and in books and things unpacking that. But if we don't have that as the backdrop, then we're going to either be very confused about what God says about sexuality, or we may even reject him because what he says about sex doesn't seem very loving. Uh, So it's critical that we understand the purpose of our sexuality in light of that larger narrative. Yeah. So if I'm hearing you, it kind of sounds like the the essence of of this, of of really dissecting why why are we sexual, why did God create sex, is like anything else, it is it is meant to express or reveal the nature of God. Yeah. And it's sort of a physical thing that we get to experience in person, but like anything, there's a spiritual parallel that we can draw from. Yeah. And we get to experience it physically in marriage, but everyone is sexual. 
and everyone will experience their sexuality. And right. so this gives gives meaning uh, to the single person who's sexual, that your longings are not for nothing. It's not mm-hmm. just about finding a spouse here on earth. It's about, no, I was made for intimacy. And mm-hmm. the yearning that I have here today physically is also metaphorical of the yearning that I meant to have for uh, being one with God and knowing Jesus that intimately. Uh, and this, that's what I love about this larger picture is we can find meaning in, in wherever we are in our sexual journey. It's not just about uh, avoiding sin or about finding the right spouse. Like God is always wanting to reveal something about himself to us through our journey. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So how does something like this change then um, our interpretation of 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 or Proverbs 5? Um, Because obviously the text is the text, but I can see how this kind of lens is going to shape a little bit the way that that we would break that down. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know if there's a contrast of like, if you don't have the big context, here's what you take from it. But when you do have it, here's what you do. Or I don't know if there's a contrast, but there is. Yeah. So yeah, let's say, for example, we'll we'll take um, we'll take first Corinthians seven, one through five, which is the sex duty passage that people sometimes refer to. And (laughs) again, we have to understand first Corinthians, those, those five verses within the context of what is before and what comes after. But what most people do is they just read those five verses and they, they take from it. Well, this says that if you're married, you owe each other sex, you have a right to demand it and you have to give it if your spouse demands it of you or else you'll be tempted by Satan and you'll, you'll cheat on each other. So, you know, that's a pretty crass way of putting it, but, but that's kind of the way that passage has been taught in isolation. Uh, Now, if we understand that our marriage covenant is meant to be a reflection of how God loves his people and Christ's covenant with the church, what's wrong with that? So let's just play a little game here. Like we look at that big picture. What, what smells fishy there? Yeah, like thinking about so thinking about the big picture in regards to that. Um, I mean, I think for me, the the one thing when my wife and I have have looked through some of these scriptures, and admittedly, we have you know members of our own family who have really shoved this one down our throats. Yeah. But our my big thing is um, if if somebody can't say uh, if they can't say no, then their mm-hmm. yes has little value. Yeah, and if you think about the context, what what we were talking about earlier. Of even our relationship with God, God hasn't forced us into anything. Yes, um, we we get choice in the matter, and that's the that's the essence. It's the fundamental piece of all relationship. True relationship is you have a choice. So yeah. at least for me, the one thing I'm extracting as you're talking about it is, yeah, in a in the context of sex, so, you should always have your choice. And I don't think those those texts negate it. I think those te- those texts are more underlying or outlining um, some parameters for maybe how you broach those conversations and how somebody chooses to participate. Right. Yeah, exactly. So even if we look at scriptures where God talks to us about our covenant with him, what does he say about, you know, I hate it when you just come to church and you worship, but it's shallow and on the side you're stealing from each other, like hmm. stop it. Or <laughs> you're lukewarm, you know, I don't be hot or cold. I'll spit you out of my mouth. Or yeah. God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give begrudgingly. Now, if we apply that to that passage and say our covenant is supposed to be like God's covenant, is he honored when we come to the marriage bed and say, I really don't want to do this, but I have to? Or we say, you know, like I got married to have sex and you have to give it to me. Mm. Like those attitudes, both of them are so uh, disconnected from the heart that God wants us to have. When we look at the fruits of the spirit, when we look just a few chapters later in first Corinthians, him defining love as patient and kind and not demanding its own way. Why do we think first Corinthians doesn't apply in the marriage bedroom? Mm. And so when I read the first Corinthians seven passage with the whole narrative, what I really understand Paul saying there to the Corinthian church, who he says in first Corinthians one through three is a very immature church. He says, I can't give you deep wisdom because you're just not there yet. So, you know, I'm going to kind of give you the baby steps. They're living in a very sexually immoral culture. So we take all of that into context. And what Paul is saying is, you know, sexuality is a very powerful force. 
And one of the purposes of marriage is that you administer to each other sexually. And that's mm. that's a high responsibility for both of you. Yeah. Uh, and he says in 1 Corinthians 6, if you're a Christian, your body doesn't belong to yourself. It also belongs to God. And then he says, but if you're a married Christian, your bodies also belong to each other. Yes. And so honor God with your body, honor your spouse with your body. This is a way that together you fight uh, temptation. It's a way that you forge intimacy. And I think when he talks about a, a duty or a sexual need, he's not just talking about the person with a high sexual desire. Mm. The person with the low sexual desire, whether it be the husband or wife, also has sexual needs. Yeah. Uh, maybe wounds that need to be attended to. Maybe um, sexuality that needs to be nurtured and uh, just cared for. And so when we interpret this passage as demand and duty sex, we totally miss the spirit of covenant love. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What would you say to somebody who maybe is, uh, maybe maybe there's the difference in libidos and they haven't been able to really reconcile or reach some sort of a, a happy middle ground. And I think this is often where this kind of text comes into play, isn't it? We try to kind of force our hand and get the person to conform. But yeah. really what we're, what the person is saying is like, I want this intimacy with you. Um, how, what would be maybe a better way for somebody to do it? Um, should they avoid the scripture altogether? Because that can obviously no. become coercive. Or how do they include that in a way that's actually going to be inviting for a person who's receiving that kind of feedback? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think this is probably about 50% of couples or maybe more, yeah. but about 50% of couples that have an ongoing discrepancy and desire that leads to significant conflict in their marriage. And I think, again, what I would encourage a couple like that to do is, again, take a step backwards. What is the purpose of sex in our marriage? Because a lot of us got married believing the narrative that uh, that I need to be pure until I get married. And then once I get married, I should have all of my sexual desires met and right. fantasies met. And I never need to have self-control again. <laughs> like I, I just get to be selfish essentially. Yeah. And I think, again, if we look through the whole of scripture, we have to see, no, that again, isn't consistent with discipleship. Whether you're single or married, a fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control and love. Right. Uh, and so there's needs to be some discipleship in a couple like that, uh, and really to, for all of us to look at what does God want us to do with our sexuality within marriage. And the physical, yes, is important, but it's way less important than how we're learning to build intimacy together. There's a difference yes. between sexual activity and sexual intimacy. And so the couple that is just trying to forge a negotiation so their needs get met is focused on intimacy or on, on activity. Yeah. The couple that says, all right, well, you know, maybe God put us together and made us somewhat incompatible for a reason is focusing on intimacy. Now, when I say that, people are like, what? But, you know, <laughs> think about it this way. When we look at the basic differences in biology and sexual response between the average man and the average woman, those differences probably existed in Adam and Eve before the fall. Right. Would you agree with me? Yeah, I would think okay. so. Yeah, their anatomy was different. Their sexual response was different. Uh, so that was probably part of God's original design. Why? Because our incompatibility means that we can't really experience sexual pleasure without learning to be unselfish. Wow. Which is what God wants from us. He wants us to learn to be great lovers. Huh. And God's love cost him something. So why would our love for each other not inherently cost us something? Yeah. Wow. That is fantastic. What What's the application to, of this concept for somebody who's single? Because you touched on it earlier and I, I really appreciated it, which is that when all somebody hears is don't have sex until you get married and then once you get mm -hmm. married, it's bliss. You're right. We kind of create these monsters who on the other side of marriage now are completely self-focused. How could somebody who's not there yet, um, I don't know, how could they approach this in a healthy way so that they're selfless from day one, um, you know, when they do enter marriage? Yeah. You know, I think some of the basics are realizing that God created you as a sexual person and that's good. The purpose of your sexuality is not 
that you would have sexual expression, but that you would realize that I was created for intimacy. Um, like intimacy is a part of being human and having sex is just one part of intimacy. But the deeper drive is I was made for connection. I was made to share my life. Uh, I'm not happy just sitting at home looking at a computer all day. I'm not happy with false intimacy. Like I need that connection. Uh, And so that's the first principle. Uh, The second one is realizing that every Christian is called to steward their sexuality in a way that glorifies God, whether they're in a covenant, which we just talked about some of the struggle of how you steward your sexuality within the covenant of marriage, or you're not in a covenant where you steward your sexuality in a way that you realize sexual expression is a celebration of covenant. And so if I'm not in covenant, then I shouldn't be having sex. I shouldn't be having uh, lustful thoughts about someone. I shouldn't be um, looking at someone on a computer screen like that lacks integrity because sex is made for covenant. Uh, And I think that single individual needs to realize and talk to your married friends you are going to need God's help to steward your sexuality, regardless of your marital status. And like Paul says, there are some great things about being single, and there are some great things about being married. Uh, but each one also has its own difficulties. Yeah. And so I think, you know, setting up those key things that God created our desires, what we really all need is intimacy, and how do we build intimacy in our lives? And then recognizing that stewarding your sexuality has difficulties in every season and every stage of life. Yeah, it's yeah, it's true. I mean, you're the same person whether you're married or not. And mm-hmm. so if you can cultivate that self-control like we talked about and some of those other qualities, it's going to go a long way. Um, I, I want to switch to leaders in a minute, but I do have one more question about this, which is um, it, from your perspective, why is sex designed for a covenant specifically because I think that's one area where um, the lines have become a lot, uh, really quite mm-hmm. blurred. And I think I think the narrative you're providing around scripture on, on a broader picture is really useful. But I'm wondering if we can just connect those dots as well here while we're on it. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the narrative does put context to it that if God created sex to be this metaphor for covenant love, then you really can't separate the two. But I think we also need to look at it in terms of Uh, typically covenants, spiritual covenants have a physical symbol that that celebrates that covenant, that remembers that covenant, that Mm. seals that covenant. And so if you read the Old Testament covenants, you see some of these special ceremonies or sacrifices with the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, the sign of circumcision. Again, is it is it coincidental that it's that intimate part of a man's body uh, mm. that God chose to be the sign of the covenant? I, I think not. But when you look at the New Testament covenant, Jesus said you know, before the Last Supper, he said, I, I am ushering in a new covenant of my blood, and this is a sign. And I want you to take this regularly and remember that I gave my body for you and my blood for you. And so as Christians, we engage in communion, not because the bread or the wine are holy, but because they become significant because of what they mean. And right. Paul says in his letter to the early churches, if you take this bread and this wine irreverently, you're taking it in a way that is bringing judgment on yourself. So this has become sacred because it is linked to the covenant. Uh, yeah. Baptism, same thing. So now let's apply that to sexuality. Uh, you know, God created sex to be the physical celebration and remembering of the covenant of marriage. And we could get in, even into detail, but there's very specific ways that the physical act of sex actually mirrors, uh, you know, Christ's covenant with us. Hmm. Uh, it's, you know, just to name a few things when you think yeah, about. Please. You know, Jesus entering into us through and depositing the seed of the Holy Spirit within us that bears fruit. You know, there's there's mm-hmm. symbolism there in mm-hmm. the body of male and female, uh, the intimacy, the vulnerability, the passion. It all is part of our relationship with God. Why do we celebrate on Sundays? We celebrate our love for God. We worship Him as an expression, a passionate expression of love, of covenant, in the same way that a husband and wife are called to celebrate 
their sexuality, their covenant with passion. And so, uh, you know, the more we get into this, the more we see these parallels that convince us that God created sex for covenant. And when we take it outside of that context, I'd say even when we have a superficial view of that within marriage, we're really missing the purpose of our sexuality. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. That's very, very helpful. Thank you. Um, before we hit record, we we both talked about um, our agreement that I think at least one of the major pieces that's going to help change the narrative of sex in the church and and maybe help us just be a better service to the body of Christ in the local church is leaders uh, mm-hmm. getting help in this area, getting equipped, getting mm-hmm. healed themselves and everything that comes with it. And you guys focus on uh, at least developing some resources that are specifically geared towards leaders. How, how does this play into the, the discussion for you? I mean, in addition to what I've just mentioned, why do you think leaders are are worth the the extra resources and the extra time to equip? Yeah, because nothing's going to happen if we don't reach the heart of leaders. That, that's mm. just the way the way it is. I, yeah. you know, I I ran the fir- this ministry for the first seven years. It was primarily two women maybe the first six years. Uh, And I would go and travel all around the country and give these conferences for women on sexuality. And the women's ministry director or the counselors or the pastors would be like, well, what do we do now that you're leaving? You've just brought up all these issues. Our (laughs) women now need help. We don't feel equipped. And so I started saying, okay, every time I speak somewhere, I'm just going to go in a night early and offer a free leader training. So at least they have some, um, they have some equipping of, uh, what I'm going to be talking about, how they can follow up, how they can learn more and be equipped. And then that led to a total shift in the ministry. Like we're no longer an all women's ministry or a church Mm -hmm. ministry, but it also led to a whole new website where all we do is train leaders and giving them that bigger narrative of sexuality, helping them understand how you can't separate the sexual from the spiritual, that every sexual issue is a spiritual issue. And so that means we really can't do evangelism and discipleship if we can't enter into conversations around sexuality. Uh, So I I love working with leaders. I think leaders are also, they, they feel stuck because they're like, no one's helping me with my stuff. I'm supposed to be the expert on this but I feel like I lack integrity to teach on it when my own marriage is a mess or I yeah. have issues and questions and I'm not a- even allowed to say that I struggle with or I'll lose my job. So uh, so I think really just changing the environment and the narrative of the church so that our leaders not only can get equipped first, but also get help first, that they can be discipled because truly discipleship is just follow me as I follow Jesus. And yeah. so, uh, so we can't take people farther than we ourselves have gone. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. So, um, so for a leader that maybe you're working with uh, more closely, I don't know. If, I don't know if that's necessarily something you do, but you're suggesting mm-hmm. that they work through their own stuff first, um, and then secondly, get equipped and start resourcing the people that God's entrusted them with. Yeah, and I don't think it's that clean. You know, I think we all lead broken. And yeah. I don't think we need to say, oh, I can't talk about this for three years until I get all my stuff figured out. I yeah. think there are ways to be very authentic and not share details, but be like, hey, God God is convicting me of some of this stuff. And I'm learning, you know, my, my husband and I or my wife and I are on a learning journey uh, or, you know, there have been, there's sexual sin in my life that I haven't dealt with that I'm dealing with now. Mm. And uh, I think today's day and age, loves leaders who will be that authentic and again, have the attitude of, I am following Christ on this. I don't have all the answers. Uh, I am getting equipped, but let's do this together. Uh, and yeah. so I, I think that it's it's both and, but certainly it has to start with a, a leader's willingness to say, you know, I need some help. Like this can't just be a one-way street. I really need to let God unearth what he needs to in my life, even as I'm being equipped to help others. Yeah. Um, are there any common issues that that you seem to observe in in leaders when they, are, when they are going on their own journeys? Is it in their marriages? Is it pornography? Is it, is it burnout? Um, I, I don't know. Are, are there any commonalities that you observe? Yeah, I, th- I think it's, it can be anything and everything. 
Yeah. But I think the commonality is just that feeling that, uh, you know, this is sort of another paradigm shift that I, I like to help people with. There's a difference between the language of sexual purity and sexual integrity. Mm. So sexual purity means I've never done anything sinful in my sexual past. You know, I'm doing everything right. I haven't looked at pornography for the, for the last decade. Uh, I'm okay. Or yeah. I'm not. I'm failing. Whereas sexual integrity means like this is an, a territory of our hearts. And there are still lies that are planted there. There's still wounds that uh, the the blood of Jesus haven't, hasn't covered. Yeah. Uh, there's still secrets that I'm keeping. And God wants to move me into the light. Uh, and so I think helping leaders shift that thinking from it's an all or nothing pass fail test to no, you know, we are all broken. We're all on a journey. I, I, if there's one theme, I think that would be it because they feel the pressure, especially in this area, that they can't even struggle or or they're disqualified from leadership. Um, so, uh, so the specifics can be everything from same-sex attraction to I'm failing as a parent to uh, I haven't had sex in my marriage for the last five years, yeah. you know, to I have abuse in my past or I'm struggling with pornography. It's all over the board. But the commonality is kind of that lie they believe that I have to be perfect. Yeah, yeah. And I can imagine it being quite liberating for them to get a space that you guys are offering them to explore that without the risk of you know losing their job or judgment or anything else that comes with it. On on the equipping side, what does it look like? Um, like I, I I'm I'm a bit of an idealist, and sometimes it just mm-hmm. helps me to to get a picture of concepts. What what does it look like when a leader is really doing a good job equipping his congregation, or or we'll just say his disciples? We can broaden it a little bit. What does it look like when a leader is really doing a good job broaching these subjects and helping the people that are following him or her in this yeah. area? Yeah, I think a couple signposts are first of all conversations around sexuality become normalized. And mm. so uh, when appropriate, it's just integrated into a teaching. Uh, it's not this odd thing that we have to have a private group for all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's a recognition that we all have sexual brokenness. It's not uh, just some people need help and other people don't, but God is calling us all to integrity and he's calling us all on a on a learning journey together. I think there's also a willingness to uh, and an essential willingness to invite the whole body of Christ to be involved. And this is kind of a larger church structure that needs to be shifting, but it's not all on the pastor to do this. Mm -hmm. Like God has given you counselors. He's given you teachers. He's given you people with gifts of mercy that are just going to love on people that are feeling great pain right now. Gifts of hospitality, reaching out to the to those who are homeless because of sexual issues. Uh, and I, I think that is a sign of a great leader who's saying the whole body of Christ needs to be activated in this work. And um, and I think not being afraid of anything, huh. you know, being so rooted in the biblical narrative of God's heart for our sexuality, that although it's difficult, we're not afraid to tackle pornography. We're not afraid to tackle questions about gender. Uh, we're not afraid to take a stand on what we believe about marriage or about God's design for marriage. Uh, so the, and this is a topic that that does create a lot of fear. But when we see how it's integrated into the gospel, you know, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, it is the power of salvation. Yeah. And uh, And I think when you see it as a separate topic, you're tempted just to skip it. But when you see it as outgrowth of the gospel and discipleship, you become encouraged that, you know, this is going, we're going to stand even if it, if there's consequences to it. Yeah, that's really timely, you know, and I think, um, I I think a lot of church leaders, at least the ones I know, I think are all figuring it out and Mm -hmm. um, the narratives in our culture continue to change around sexuality and gender and figuring out the right language and the right ways to express these truths um, in a way that people understand it. And I guess in sometimes, sometimes in a way that's maybe going to offend people as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but you're right. That kind of rising up, I think is, is paramount. Um, On the other side of it. So maybe there's people listening who aren't 
overt leaders like you were saying so they're not the pastors they maybe they don't even lead a small group or something like that but um i really believe we just did a series that like every man is a leader every person Mm -hmm. is a leader we're all called to lead in some capacity and so i think what we're talking about has relevance across the board what what does it look like for someone like that to to maybe be a leader as well? It could be maybe in the home or at work. Um, how do some of these concepts spread into some of those other avenues of life? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I certainly, if you're a parent, you're a leader. <laughs> if you're yeah, oh, yeah. a big brother, a sister, or an aunt or an uncle, uh, you know, you're leading small groups. You're discipling people. You know, part of what we're supposed to be doing as Christ followers is discipling. And so uh, if we are active in our faith, that means we're discipling someone. And Mm -hmm. so what does it look like practically? I think, you know, some of the change that I've seen in people and those engaging with the sexual discipleship website are not all in vocational Christian ministry. Some of them are, are, like you said, lay leaders that have a heart for this. But one, one of the things they'll tell me stories about is they're not afraid to ask questions anymore. And so, you know, people will drop us hints around sexual issues in everyday conversation or in Bible studies or at church. They'll say, well, you probably don't want to know about this or, yeah, you're probably going to judge me for this. Uh, And they're kind of testing you uh, to see, will you ignore it? Will you follow it up? And what they're learning to do is to realize there's a spiritual issue under that statement. And God, would you give me the wisdom to ask the question of, no, actually, I'd love to know about that. Tell me more about that. Or uh, tell me why you think that I would, I would judge you for that. Uh, You know, there's a lot of pain around sexuality in the church. And uh, so all of us have the opportunity to step into that pain, to not be defensive, but to listen and spend time building a relationship where sexual topics are not off limits. But mm. we can begin through relationship, just integrating God's heart for our sexuality, not just the rules, but what is God's heart for our redemption? Yeah, I love that. And I think that's that's actually it. Like if we all do the work to engage with that, to understand God's heart for us, our own sexuality and the broader narrative, um, then it really gives us all kinds of pathways to be able to speak into the lives of, of others, have conversations with our peers or our fans, uh, friends or family or whatever it might be. Um, so that's super insightful. Uh, one last question, Julie, uh, for somebody who's maybe listening to this, and um, and I think we often experience this um, in the interviews on our podcast, somebody hears it and something strikes a chord and they're like, okay, you've, you've convinced me, like I know I need to take another step, whether it's for a, a leader who maybe knows they need to get a bit more help themselves or equip their church, or uh, maybe it's just somebody who's acknowledged, hey, I, I don't think my concept of sexuality is actually fully anchored in the word and I want to reform it. Um, what are some next steps that people can take? And I know you have some great resources. I'd love for you to talk about some of those as well. What are some ways that people can um, can take some next steps? Sure. Here? Yeah. Um, so our ministry is authenticintimacy.com. You can find links to pretty much everything we do there, including the leader website. But a good first step, you know, you're already listening to a podcast on uh, this topic. So yeah. that might be an easy next step for you. We also have a podcast called Job with Julie. And um, and we just talk very openly about all issues related to sexuality, intimacy, marriage, singleness, you name it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's an easy kind of next step for a lot of people. Uh, you know, we do have some resources. We have online book studies um, going through books like one is Rethinking Sexuality, which is a book that I wrote that really talks about this concept of the larger narrative and what it looks like to really be discipled in our sexuality. If you're married, a practical book is God's Sex in Your Marriage that I wrote. Um, you know, really asking, what does God say a great sex life is supposed to look like? And yeah. Coming out of his covenant love, what does his covenant love look like? And applies it very practically to sexuality within marriage. So that might be a few next steps. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll put links uh, to all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, but thank you so much for your time today, Julie. This was amazing. I, I learned a lot. I was taking some notes myself. I uh, really appreciate you and appreciate your time. Well, thanks. And thanks for your work and just helping uh, men seek sexual integrity. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Well, I I don't even know what to say. That was such an incredible interview. Um, Dr. Julie is a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. 
And uh, like I said, just a very clever communicator. And I'm, I really do mean this. I think if you were to actually take some of those concepts, uh, especially some of the, the larger concepts around biblical sexuality, the larger biblical narrative, and really understanding God's intent and his design for sex, um, that, that was worth it. And then, you know, the thing for me that really stood out, uh, when she, when she talked about how a lot of the, teachings that we received. She didn't quite say it this way, but a lot of the teachings in the church um, design us or wire us to be very self-focused in our pursuit of healthy sexuality and sexual intimacy, um, but that when we truly are expressing it in the way God designed, we must be unselfish. That is actually the, the nature of healthy sexual integrity. Uh, my goodness, just mind-blowing stuff. I hope you guys will go check her stuff out. Uh, Java with Julie is the podcast. Authenticintimacy.com is her main website. And then she also has the resource for leaders, and that's sexualdiscipleship.com. There's actually one more thing you can do to go check her out. And she shared this with me afterwards. She said she, she wasn't going to bring it up, but we just got to talking. And um, she wanted to invite all of you guys to join her at Reclaim Conference. And this is an event that she's putting on in October. It's centered around marriages, but it's for singles as well. If you just want to grow in your view of sexuality and maybe there's some things you heard today and you realized, oh my gosh, there's some, there's some holes in my thinking. And I know that there could be more for me um, just to grow and to be ready for marriage when the time comes. Or if you're married and you acknowledge that, you know, sex is maybe a tenuous subject, maybe it's been problematic, you've run into some issues on either side or both of you, um, this would be a chance for you to really get things right and to get the marriage back that you always wanted. So we're going to put links to all of this in the show notes. If you are struggling with porn addiction specifically, and maybe this podcast helped you realize just how detrimental porn addiction is to your life, and maybe maybe you're realizing that, hey, actually... I, I did not understand the, the correct biblical lens of sexuality. And I think that's what's driven me to porn. That was actually my experience. I didn't understand God's love. I didn't understand, um, what it really meant to have intimacy with Christ and how that whole concept even factored into my healthy, um, sexuality and sexual identity. Um, so if you're like that and maybe you need a resource that's going to help you grow in that area, I want to invite you to get a free copy of The Last Relapse. You can get it at thelastrelapsebook.com. And in doing that, um, um, you're going to get a blueprint that will literally walk you through the steps for resolving the root issues, tackling this thing head on, and really experiencing lasting freedom. That's what it's all about. It's available at thelastrelapsebook.com. But guys, I want to thank you so much for listening. I wish you an incredible day, and I'll talk to you very soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. It's Thea again. Thanks for listening to Unleash the Man Within. I wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a free ebook that I wrote for you called The Ultimate Guide to Porn Recovery. It provides a basic framework for the recovery process and a few of my top tips completely free of charge. You can get it now at www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. That's www.ultimaterecoveryguide.com. Now, if you've been impacted by the podcast and you want to show some support in less than 60 seconds, there are three ways you can do that. First, you can leave a rating or review on your podcast platform. This lets people like you know that the content here is valuable. Secondly, you can share this episode with someone in your life that might benefit from the content. If you're passionate about helping other people experience freedom and success in their lives, this is one of the easiest ways to do that. And lastly, you can subscribe. I personally only listen to the podcast that I subscribe to. If you're seeking daily encouragement, guidance, and insight in your recovery journey, I highly recommend subscribing to Unleash the Man Within. Thanks for listening. I look forward to connecting with you very, very soon. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast by Sathya Sam and his guests are for general information only and should not be considered medical, clinical, or any other form of professional advice. Any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk.